This week, we're excited to be talking with Deverick McAllister, college student and the current African Heritage House historian. Thanks so much for coming on, Deverick. And my co-host, Ella Murray. Hi, I'm Ella and she hers. Sweet. Um, so, yeah, we just wanted to get started um, by asking Deverick a little bit about what your work is with the African um, Heritage House and what you do as the historian there. <laughs> um, right. So I currently live in the African Heritage House um, this year to celebrate the 50th anniversary of both the House and the Africana Studies Department. Um, director, faculty in residence and director of the House, um, Candace Rayner, instituted uh, House Historian as a position. Yeah. Um, what my job entails is really going through archives, conducting interviews, um, really just trying to compile all of the information that we have on the African Heritage House. Because um, we have some things in the archives, but it's a bit disparate, not as, we don't have as large a volume as other departments. Um, and in addition to that, finding a way to present this history in a way that will honor um, and cultivate the living legacy of the African Heritage House. What's been the most exciting thing that you found as your job? I think they're all pretty exciting. Like um, you and me today, we were in the archives That's together and <laughs> you just saw me giddily laughing um, to news clippings about about a court case that happened <laughs> like 30 years mm -hmm. ago. What do you like about your job? Um, I'm really enjoying. <laughs> I'm really enjoying being able to learn this history, um, knowing that Oberlin is a place that I came to for this sort of work. This um, its long history of social justice and seeing that it didn't just stop at the end of slavery or the end of the civil rights, but we're constantly moving towards um, and pushing forward. Um, I think uh, that's really what all of my interviews have <laughs> led me to um, this point. They all wanted to stress to me the importance of agency. Mm -hmm. Ella, can I jump in and just ask um, what your work with, is with the, the archives as well? Oh, yeah. Um, so for my senior thesis and some other classwork, um, I'm doing a research project on Shule Yakujitambua, which uh, translated from Swahili is to English is School for Self-Determination. Um, it was a school founded in Oberlin by Dr. Kofi Lamote um, in the 1970s, and it was a school for African-American children um, to, with the goal to close the achievement gap um, within the public schools. Well, that's great. So, you, so you're both in the archives, and what, what are the archives? <laughs> <laughs> the archives are on the fourth floor mud. Um, anyone can access them. Uh, they have such a detailed record of Oberlin's history. Um, they'll have uh, literally anything you can think of. Uh, president's papers. If you wanted to see um, what a previous president thought about a proposal, they would have the original documents with like the president's notes on the paper. Um, yeah. 
I think that the archives to me swings from being like wildly exciting to just unbelievably boring really quickly. <laughs> like <laughs> I spent a lot of time today like going through just like memos that were sent between administrative assistants and just like wasn't that psyched about it. But <laughs> like a lot of time. But then it's so fun because then you find some like this gem. Right. And it you realize like why those memos were important and how they led up to this one thing that you found. And it sort of makes history feel like not just disparate moments, but like it's all a story and even the boring things matter. And it make the boring having the boring things makes the exciting things just so exciting. Mm. I love the archives. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I promised myself I wouldn't be a teacher, and I promised myself I wouldn't be a historian, and here I am doing both of those things. <laughs> um, to respond to like your previous question, like uh, my favorite thing thus far, I think, is being able to apply the history that I learned. Like you found me because I was working with um, Candice Rayner, who's reinstituting the Shule. Mm-hmm. Um, so being at able to actually apply the things I learned. Also, if you're interested in getting involved with the Shule in its newest rendition, you can shoot uh, me or Debrick an email. Um, I'm emurray at oberlin.edu. How do you spell that? E-M-U-R-R-A-Y. I'm dmccallis at oberlin.edu. D-M-C-A-L-L-I-S. And both of you are great resources. (laughs) This is a selfless plug. Please help us. (laughs) We need it. (laughs) Should we shift to the next? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, did you want to take it, Ellen? Sure. Um, so can you tell us about the 40th anniversary of the Oberlin Underground, the Winter Term Underground Railroad Reenactment Project? 40 years already. Crazy, <laughs> um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I first, I think like just to start, I, this was a, bit of history that like no one in the house knew about um we had like pictures of what appeared to be slaves Mm -hmm. in in normal attire like uh black and white photos but these were taken here in the 80s after um the winter term project and these are printed we're look right now we're looking at five four five photos um they're like nine by eleven and they're these glossy print, beautiful photographs of a group of African-American men and women. The one I'm holding right now has two men and two women, two people who appear to be men, people who appear to be women. Um, and the photos like genuinely look like they're from the 1800s. The way that they're printed and cut, it's amazing. Yes, yes. Um, the goal, basically the project, in ni- the winter of 1980, um, January 2nd, 1980, nine students embarked on a 420-mile trek from Greensburg, Kentucky to Oberlin. Um, They followed an old underground railroad route, and the purpose of this trip, aside from the fact that it's, like, really cool, um, just a really Mm -hmm. tough thing to do, um, the purpose of this trip, um, Herman Beavers spoke to me, was emphasizing the agency of these people who run away often when we think about slavery we think about all of the people who helped them get there Mm -hmm. like the benevolent white man Mm -hmm. um, who kept his light on in the window but we Mm -hmm. often forget that it was these people who had to leave plantations in the dark of night um, 
get themselves those 420 miles to freedom and if they were caught um they knew what they knew the consequences Mm -hmm. so it was either live free or die and they chose freedom do you know why how these students started the project yes this project was actually two years in the making um the, <laughs> yeah, um, these students, they had been working on this project. It started out as a joke, actually. Like, what if we sort of... Uh, <laughs> Funny joke. <laughs> yeah, what if we, uh, like, walked from the north, to, mm-hmm. walked from the south to the north? Ooh, what if we uh, wore costumes? But then they actually got to think about it a little more. Um, the person who really... Um, the person who really put the project together, um, I think, in a large part, was David Horde. Mm-hmm. He had an internship, like in Chicago, over a summer, working with a few historians and playing with the idea a little more. Um, they found old uh, railroad routes, mm-hmm. and yeah, it sort of just grew from there. Uh, over those few years, they um, petitioned, wrote grant. Um, wrote for grants and monies and <laughs> monies. Yeah, I liked it. No, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won a national grant. I have notes about like the very official name of the grant. Like people to this day still remember from that office these kids who went on this four hundred twenty mile trip. But yeah, this was a ten thousand dollar project. And what surprises you about this project? I think, like, we spoke about literally we're looking at what they're wearing right now. Um, I don't think there are undershirts. There's just maybe tweed coats, women in dresses, no scarves, um, hats on head. Aside from, like, quality winter boots, they wanted to make this experience as authentic as possible. So throughout the route... um, they slept in churches and barns outside in freezing cold temperatures like this is winter and they were walking north Mm -hmm. um just the difficulty of it herman beavers um my mentor who i've mentioned um who also went on this trip said that if he had known what he was getting himself into they never would have left um they were eating yams and corn fritters on the side of the road um and there were like even a few incidents where it may not have been so safe like their parents warned them not to do this Mm -hmm. because it could at points it was incredibly dangerous um you want to tell the rowboat story the rowboat story (laughs) that's just one um that's towards the latter uh leg of the trip um they had to make it to freedom. Um, they crossed the Ohio River, which is about, although it's shallow, it's about a mile uh, from point oh from side uh, shore to shore. And these are freezing cold waters. So had they capsized, they would have surely either drowned or died of hypothermia. Um, they secured the rowboat from a fire department, the county's fire mm-hmm. department, and at some points they were just rowing in circles like they were so bad <laughs> they made it across though they made important. it a- eventually um actually a camera crew was following them across and <laughs> oh my god yeah 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 the camera crew reached them and said you would have been caught 
We have to find that footage. I uh, I hope there's footage of we that. We have to find it. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. We'll find it. We're going to find it. Oh, but um, something that also surprised me was the documentation of this project. Like, at the same time, not knowing what they would be getting into, they did all of this preparation, and it's so well documented. They knew the momentous... What's the word? <laughs> they knew just how... The undertaking? Yes, just how grand this project was. Like, there were... They received national media coverage. There was a photographer and a journalist who literally followed them the 420 miles. They may not have been... Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually have a photo right here with the photographer um, filming them. Um, it's incredible the sort of media attention that they got. Um and what that sort of did for Oberlin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, we were looking at um, a newspaper clipping in the archives today about the students complaining uh, just how little Oberlin College actually supported um, this project, but how grand it was in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad you're, you're sharing this, because I, I really didn't know um all that much about it and yeah it, it sounds like like ella said quite the undertaking <laughs> like even even t today i can't imagine you know it's that's that's remarkable um yeah i <laughs> there are no words <laughs> no yeah i had the opportunity to interview herman beavers um in november and like you guys are saying like i was speechless like uh normally doing these interviews in my official capacity as a historian i have questions and prompts mm -hmm. there are things that i sort of want you to say but in the middle or towards the end like there i i couldn't give him anything but the most sincere of thank yous for telling me this story like um there was even a moment on their trip uh they were going through a sundown county um off the side of a highway there were times uh a truck driver tried mm. to hit them off the road. People uh, scream, chucking epithets out of their mm. car, and um, a sheriff who mm. caught them at night mm. in the car with just the head beams on them for a good ten minutes. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine. It's kind of incredible the ways that, like, <clears throat> you know, how little had changed in those hundred years, and how little has changed in the next forty years. Yes. that have happened since then and like I don't maybe this is like going too big but I you know the ways even that we talk about this history and the ways that we like I think through the work that I've been doing it's been and working with you it's been so clear that like there's this distinction in Oberlin and in Oberlin history of like where where the line is of what we talk about right and like like no even today like I uh, students learn of race riots that mm -hmm. occurred like in the 1900s mm -hmm. in Oberlin but mm -hmm. yeah like it's it's all so so tangible even to just be sitting here and holding these images and to be talking to you and to be working through these archives and trying to like uncover this history together where it's not that buried you know no. like we don't have to sift through that much to actually get there and it's I think as a white student it's been really sort of stunning like how little I've known after being here for four years like I mm. I didn't know about the Shule I didn't know about the Underground Railroad Project like 
it wasn't it wasn't talked about in the same way and I wonder how that continues to perpetuate right this like the same things of the you know the college not giving enough funding or us not actually talking about the, the project I think like I've always seen the college as a sort of microcosm for like the obviously um the real world the mm -hmm. atrocities the micro and macro aggressions the acts of individuals and systemic oppression mm -hmm. but like that's all a microcosm here i think often we there's a lot of invisible labor that mm -hmm. just goes on behind the scenes and like people who work for mm -hmm. years and we can lose stories like just like that even something as momentous as this but mm -hmm. like I think what I'm trying to say is like we often think of heroes we mm -hmm. like stories of heroes mm -hmm. um, but like this was a community effort and a lot of the things that uh, we're doing day to day mm -hmm. like are our history like yeah. people will be researching that from day to day and like what are who yeah, are yeah. those invisible people you know like what are the ways that this story this is an incredible story because it was a huge undertaking yes yes but like there 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 are so many names involved in each thing and so many people and just like an endless amount of like conversation happening and it it's just like it's astounding what gets lost I guess. Right. About this story. That's fine. Yeah. And all the, the complexities of history and sort of, like you were talking about, unraveling that is so crucial. And also just gives a new a new framework, I think, is really that's really valuable. Deverick, would you would you mind um giving just for for people who aren't as familiar with this story maybe even a little bit more background about who those people were and what the community was like at that time and, and how um, that support came up or, um, yeah. Yes. Like you, um, you mentioned you, you interviewed one of the participants. Yes, uh, I'm probably doing a disservice. Uh, I'm reading from, well, I'm not quite sure what this document is, but I'd just like to read to you guys the names of the people who were on the trip mm -hmm. um, so that we can have that. So on December 30th, 1979, a small band of Oberlin College students bid goodbye to Oberlin and left for Greensburg, Kentucky. Included in the group are Adrian Banks of Chicago, Illinois, Lester Barclay of Chicago, Illinois, Gail Ellison of Park Forest, Illinois, David Horde of Powley, Pennsylvania, Richard Littlejohn of Bridgeport, Connecticut, Marzella Player of Reston, Virginia, and Larry Spinks of uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and of course um, Herman Beavers, and I hope this um, got them all. Oh, I'm sorry, what was your question? No, that that's great. I, I mean, I think just, just learning more about who they were um, and hearing hearing their names I think is really important and even um, you had said that you had like a, a clip of, of Herman speaking is that right? Yes yes um, is that right <laughs> if I play it? 
Uh, could we play it a little? Yeah, later? a little later on. Um, I think you were like asking about uh, the community, and I think what's yeah. uh, some of the differences, um, or something that really made this possible is the founding of the African Heritage House. Like Herman Beavers uh, was able to live there for two years. Mm -hmm. um, the house was founded with the department, and a lot of that invisible labor going on acting as sort of retention resources for black students um, kept them here and supported them through this process. In addition, there was a lot of, at the time they called it the town and gown divide, uh, our sort of distance between the, um, the town and the college. Uh, there was not that much of that. Like um, students were going to the Shule, learning from black Oberlin students. There was even a program where um, students were adopted by host families of black over uh, black people in Oberlin who would just feed them because they were far away from home. So there was a lot stronger connections to the community, and that is part of what made this trip possible. But also seeing that homecoming. Uh, I don't have any pictures here, but like students got out of school on the day that these uh, students got back to um, Oberlin. Everyone was just waiting there to greet them. Like Herman Beavers held the key to the city <laughs> in his hands for like 15 minutes and the mayor took it back. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, community support. And I think that community support was also like baked into the whole thing. Uh, the the, do you, have you read about the Afri African American Community Student Development Program? Yes, yes. That's the um, predecessor to what we now call the Africana Studies Department. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you want to talk? Could you talk briefly about like what that is, what the AACDSP is or was? I don't think I'm as okay. well versed, but I do know that it led to the creation of both the house and the department. Um, some of the things that we didn't get with it, but we applied for was the teaching of an African language, a few more black faculty positions, um, definitely um, the program house, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So the, just this, the idea of community in college was much more intertwined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even that, that connection between, like you said, Ella, like the, the academic element, but also <clears throat> sort of bringing that more fully into people's practice mm -hmm. and what they did and that it wasn't just it sounds like it wasn't just what they studied but also sort of engagement and and even the act of sort of reenactment mm -hmm. as really is like a physical presence of of, of learning so. yeah I, yeah Would you, would you want to play the clip now, Derek? Is that all right? Or... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the clip is from uh, the 1980s poem by Herman Beavers, who was a participant on the trip. Uh, it's titled, We Are Walking. Um, would you like me to say a little bit about it before or after? Um, basically, the poem, um, as I interpreted it, and uh, hopefully from what uh, Herman's been telling me, is it's sort of you constantly hear the repetition of we are walking but to where it's sort of a critique or 
questioning our progress in society um, thus far. Like um, you were talking about the tangibility, we don't have to go that far. This was not that long ago, but it looking at these pictures, it was like we were in the 1800s. Like, and this know that hundred year difference and knowing that not much has changed, that you can still be in a sundown town in the 1980s. Um, and literally still walking but making no progress um yeah all right well with that um really great introduction i'll, I'll play it and and just cut me off whenever um whenever you feel it's right so here it goes Let's see, there might be some technical delay. <laughs> Is that a mic still on? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, yes. <laughs> I also have the poem here if you... Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It should... It should... We are walking. Hear the rattle of the chains. Gone from our ankles, now on our brains. I... Living our blackness from downstairs to up, drawing our strength from apathy's cup, sitting back in plush velvet chairs while others around us define our cares. We are walking, but to hear. The fight for identity is at hand, health will perish from this land, and I don't refer to Smith or Jones, but to the power of remembering your own. But still you ask for the freedom ride when in yourselves you have no pride. We are walking, but to wear. And what is here for us to lose when all we have are some dusty blues? That road that passes under me makes it very plain to see. I'm sore for nothing, because I'm not free. We are walking, but to wear. Now, you might think me pessimistic or maybe even masochistic. What else is there to be? The TV cameras, the news reporters, and the photographers will all fade into our pain. And the only thing that will remain are the shackles on our brains. And still I ask, we are walking, but to where? Are we remiked? Yeah. Um, I hope that was inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have some thoughts on the poem? Um. No, I think it's um really provocative. Just the question: We are walking, but to where? Like people are talking about this lack of progress in the grand scheme of things. Um, and Herman Beavers often talks about like how this is a bad poem. Like, but mm -hmm. the best he could do, um, as a twenty-year-old, but. I think it really it spoke to me. Can you? I have so many more questions about the poem. How how would you change it if you were to write it now? If I were to write it now, well, I'm not I'm not necessarily a prose poet, so I guess it wouldn't <laughs> look like this. Um, I wouldn't have used the rhyme scheme. <laughs> 
I think it's a bit corny, but... <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Beavers. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Beavers won't hear this. He won't hear it. Um, yeah, I think... I, I very much like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the 50th anniversary of the African Heritage House? Um... Yes. Uh, can you... More specific, yeah. yeah um, what's the house? Start there. Yes. Okay, so the African Heritage House, 126 Forest Street in Overland, Ohio, United States of America. Um, <laughs> Zip code 444. <laughs> yes, yes, that exactly. Um, it was originally instituted as a place for just black students to belong. I think often, I was telling you about the way we like to tell stories with like heroes and kings and queens but this was really a community effort you mentioned the um ac aacdsp yes yes that was a community proposal brought up by students faculty members of the community all posed um to oberlin college with a list of demands of things that they wanted to see uh, some of the things that made this possible, um, uh, this was the year 1967 when uh, that community proposal was written. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, right after the civil rights movement, um, a lot of institutions across the country started letting in more and more black students. This is where we see a lot of um, a lot of student protests on campus, um, not just uh, in terms of like the Vietnam War, but because there is such a critical mass of black students where there had not been previously before, they could ask for things, they could demand Mm -hmm. it. They had strategy meetings, studied what administrations had done previously and created a plan. Um, And this was something happening nationwide. Um, So, what it is now, I think it really embodies themes of community, family, home, and fellowship. Um, yeah, and definitely that whole living legacy part. Like, so much history has happened in this place, um, as we've been talking about, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a museum. You can still walk through the halls or sit in a lounge on any given night and hear music playing at dinner, um, see people doing pirouettes and cartwheels and um, singing the house song uh, about faith and all of their blackness. Um, I'd like to read something written um, in a student publication a while back. It was written in the 70s. Sorry, just pulling it up. (laughs) (laughs) About 50 years. Is this the We Are? Yes. Here, I can pull it up on my computer. Sorry. Um, In the meantime, can you describe what the house looks like on the inside? Or what it smells like? (laughs) what it smells like Um, well it's an L-shaped building on the outside there are you can see there's just beautiful art done um, uh, put in the house uh, just 
for the significance of the pieces um the furniture we've had we've been telling ourselves we've had it uh for the 50 year <laughs> history um not quite as true as we'd like to believe but i definitely believe it it tells a story about um that lack of resources that we're still given today just today i was reading um a piece in the archive about it was this like long correspondence between the dean of the college and the house director at the time trying to get plastic coverings mm. for the um yes yeah <laughs> do you know about this no like those chairs like they're very easy easy to believe like that they've been there for 50 years um we've asked for like we've petitioned um wrote proposals submitted budgets for new furniture mm -hmm. but uh no um part of the reason is because they're in such good condition um while other dorms uh not so much yeah yeah this is, is this the quote you're looking for Yes, yes. Um, the quote. The struggle towards blackness here is a constant struggle to survive spiritually, physically, and morally, overcome cultural racism in the curriculum, dodge the continuous bombardment of oppression and obstacles in many forms and colors, acquire those skills needed to prepare and develop ourselves and our people for a nation in the midst of rhetoric and change developed a many-faceted approach on all levels of human existence through which we can understand the complexities of our past and our present. So this was sort of the environment at the time, maybe even still the environment now that created the necessity um, for a place like the house. Um, there are tons of documents, <laughs> like amazing poems written by um, amazing students who have been here um, our past and who encourage us to continue like um, in our capacity as Oberlin students like they remind us that we're here for a reason um, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not too sure if you guys just want to hear uh, poems but yeah always I think if anything this has been a push to get everybody to the archives it's so much fun yeah, yeah. is there, is there a, a way to be documented like you know the first year student or fourth year student uh, just getting involved and getting started um yes i think the archives are a bit a bit dense very dense they might turn you off a bit i certainly don't enjoy reading um I just ask the people around me. There's a wealth of knowledge that just our elders in the community um, who have pushed for things before just know about. They know about the structure, the administration. Um, they've studied how to get things done. Yeah. Also, if you're interested in this history more and want to get involved, please, please email us. <laughs> we're, we're always looking for more folks to help out. Um, but also, someone said this to me the other day, that he's a fourth year, and he was saying um, his whole career at Oberlin has been um, being pushed through doors by other people, and like he hasn't done anything on his own, which was a very interesting thing for him to say. Um, but I kind of feel like that's true. Like, so much of the work feels like it's asking questions and sending emails and 
just talking to people, um, which feels kind of daunting because it's not that concrete. Uh, but Ken Grossi is one of the nicest people on this campus. Um, Very... He is the head archivist, and he's lovely, and you can email him about anything. Um, and the website is pretty easy to use. It's uh, If you go to the Oberlin College Library website, you can click through the archives, um, use their finding guide, which is um, what a lot of big universities use these days. Uh, but talk to people. Talk to your professors. Talk to other people. There's a lot of work happening on campus. Oh, and yeah, definitely talk to us. I've mm-hmm. been uh, working to get this in a get this history down in a form that is accessible, digestible, like definitely getting these big picture moments, but also the little nuances, like some of Oberlin's traditions, how we've changed over the years, national and local trends. Um, So yeah, I look forward to being stopped (laughs) on my way to class to this talk loop. I know on either May 1st or May 2nd, (laughs) Ella here will be um, at the Research Symposium. Yeah, that's true. It's a ways away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Presenting her research on Shule. um, And I'm very excited to that. (laughs) Yes, same. We'll see what happens. Yes. What other events are happening? There is the Shule Graham Dubois. Um, I keep forgetting this far and then forgetting if it's like a renaming right um but the there's a dedication in the conservatory library and there's a series of symposium lectures next week um there's the journalism symposium this week plug for that which has some interesting information about (laughs) how to incorporate history um in a more public sphere um sort of outside of academia it's Black History Month, and it's only the 23rd, so we have another week of events. There's actually something happening every day this week. What? Uh, you said it's the 23rd. Is, it, is that right? Is it the 23rd? Um, it's the 24th. It is the 24th. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you guys aren't busy after listening to this, there is uh, gospel music playing at the SCO by uh, Black gospel artists. Um on tomorrow we will have fat tuesday dinner at the african heritage house from 5 30 to 7 30 p.m is that for mardi gras yes mardi gras uh february 26th we will have a film screening of the foreigner's home at 7 p.m at the apollo theater uh february 27th and 28th there will be a symposium on various campus locations about the intersections um, rediscovering the genius of oh, this is what you were describing. Yeah, no, this is the Shirley Graham Dubois. Um, and this Friday, uh, shameless plug. I'm currently <laughs> teaching um, an exco on the Boondocks. Um, it uses the Boondocks as a case study to understand black satire and masterful storytelling. There will be a Boondocks um, Boondocks marathon in Lord Lounge of African Heritage Chefs. Yeah, those all sound those all sound wonderful and, <laughs> and a good way to keep the conversation going. So <laughs> thank you for, thank you for sharing. One one thing I'm I'm intrigued by, um, is even the idea of 
sort of campus historian or historian for the African Heritage House. Um, because I think in other groups that I've been involved with in Oberlin, there's sort of the, the idea of trying to preserve institutional memory and in what mm. we have right now. Um, and there's not always as much of a focus sort of on what has come before. So do you see sort of um, in your work ties or through lines between current current things that are going on and, and documentation and writing about that and, and you know people writing poems about what's what's happening currently and what's happened in the past yes i definitely see the connections i'm um thinking about institutional memory like uh there are plenty of people we know on campus like this is Oberlin after all um that want to get involved want to do things want to innovate and make sure that um there is succession that these things stay long after them um, providing resources and opportunities that people before them haven't had um, so they reach out to some of their elders with ideas and then uh, they're told that these are things that we may have actually had um, but lost them because maybe um, the administration pulled the rug from under our feet or uh, maybe there weren't as many people attending or um, these events or just for any old reason but knowing our history des definitely makes it easier um, to do the work that needs to be done and that we want um, and it makes it a lot easier to continue uh, push forward in preserving that memory and cultivating it yeah. and maybe yet another push for the archives again but like these things don't stay they don't stay if they're not valued and these ideas don't stay if they're not valued and it's really important that as I don't want to get like preachery but as, like as students here we we show that we value these things and these objects and these stories and these people and these events and only by doing that are they going to continue for another 50 years uh, and like that cultural the the objects are and the things and the stories are completely dependent on the cultural context and the ways that we want to talk about these stories and if we want to talk about these stories and how we hope to engage with each other mm -hmm. um, and if we can keep moving forward while continuing to acknowledge what's come before us we'll be able to do that <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Read my thesis. <laughs> yes. Snaps, snaps. Oh. Some of this history will also be online come May 1st with my research project, my thesis. Is that intriguing or not? Very nice. Very cool. That sounds great. What, what in particular through your research have you been able to, what do you value? Like in the stories or in the process? I guess in both. You were talking about um, things that you want to stay, and mm -hmm. um, particularly thinking about your research mm -hmm. around Shule and this month being Black History Month mm -hmm. and the 50th anniversary. What? I think something that I found is that, so I've been doing oral, it's an oral history project, so I've been doing these interviews with folks who've been involved and I've been just dumbfounded by how vulnerable people are willing to be with me and mm. how how much they care and how excited they are that we're continuing to talk about this story. Um, and 
that like that alone makes it feel worth it like just to have these people really excited um and it sort of it it sort of it breathes life back into the pieces of newspaper clippings and the memos and the spending hours on excel spreadsheets (laughs) (laughs) um to know that i think that's what excites me is Mm. that to someone this matters and to someone this mattered so much and they want like they the people i've interviewed want the shule to continue to matter to people right. in new and exciting and complex ways. And that makes me want to value it Yeah, more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it completely. Um, but what, um, what you made me think of is sort of like, how do we, we certainly want to tell stories that are honest and mm-hmm. true, but at the same time with that sort of, vulnerability how do we we have a certain responsibility Mm -hmm. to these people Mm -hmm. um and i i don't know i guess uh in my research or finding a way to present this i want to i've been struggling with both that vulnerability that realness and authenticity but also these are our elders this is legacy Mm -hmm. this is I want to represent them in the best ways mm-hmm. possible. Like, how do you how do you uplift these stories, and make them, and also honor what was true in the moment that it existed? Almost like, you know, in the, in the ways that we're having this conversation right now, like there might not be anybody listening to it, and right, this doesn't feel like that important of a conversation in the moment. But like, what are people fifty years from now gonna think? And like. How do we, how do we honor what was daily life back then, and also why it matters now? Thinking to those next fifty years, mm-hmm. how do you think? Um, I don't know. I guess like, how happen? should we? No, how should we sort of end this? Like thinking forward, because in trying to balance um, the authenticity and truthiness and maintaining this legacy mm-hmm. um herman beaver sort of gave me an out he was mm-hmm. like you don't his focus was not on necessarily lifting him up mm-hmm. or like this mm-hmm. great story i i didn't need to come here to this mm-hmm. was a great story all on its own but <laughs> <laughs> um and he certainly tells it a lot better than i but he said the purpose um what he really wanted me to take from this um was to uplift others with my mm-hmm. story, with uh, these stories, using them to get students to recognize the agency in themselves, the power that they have. Mm-hmm. Like a great story isn't necessarily a great story because it's all about like the people. Mm-hmm. It's not a great story because it happened. It's a great story because of how it's told.